Well, good morning, church. Man, if you are excited that you, as a follower of Christ, that you are free indeed, would you just give the Lord a shout of praise this morning? Would you say amen? Yeah. I tell you, we are free in Christ. And today, I mean, really, that's why we come together, isn't it? And that's, we're here to celebrate that. And we began a series a few weeks ago in Colossians called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And I, and I kind of hope we, as we've thought about that a little bit, that we kind of realize that that is, that is basic truth for us as believers. Those of us that say that we're followers of Christ, it really is Jesus plus nothing. And what we all realize is we've all pursued things in life, haven't we? All of us have pursued things, and all of us, there's been a, maybe a season, a moment in our life where we were like searching for peace, and we were searching for hope, or we were searching for joy. We were searching for something, and many of us have looked so many other places to satisfy what we were searching for. Maybe for some of you in the room, you think, okay, well, maybe if, it's, if I'm a Christian, maybe Jesus plus a family, yeah, that's what will equal fulfillment. Or maybe Jesus plus more finances, that will bring security. And hopefully what we found out over the last three weeks is this. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Amen to that? Amen. I mean, it's just him alone. It's just him alone. And I hope over the last three weeks, there's been part of you that are followers of Jesus that would just simply say, this is now the new declaration of my life. Now, there's one thing to say this, right? It's another thing to live this out, right? It's another, one thing to say, hey, Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's different when you actually have to tangibly live that thing out. And so for those of you that are believers in the room, here's a question for you. If you're willing to make this declaration, if you're really to find that moment in your life where going, now am I going to say that Jesus plus nothing equals everything? I'm willing to start living that way. Here's a question for you. Do you think the enemy is now going to look at you and go, well, I can't touch them anymore. I'm not going to attack them anymore because they've made this declaration. They've decided they're going to live this way. So hands off for the belief. Do you think the enemy is going to stop attacking you if you make this declaration? No, I would contend that he's going to begin to attack you even more, right? That if you come to a place, not just declare this, but you're living this out, I feel like you're going to be under the enemy's attack maybe more than you've ever been in his life. And one of the ways, there's many ways, that the enemy attacks us, the devil attacks us. But one of those ways is through worldly philosophies. One of the ways that the enemy attacks us is by inundating us with philosophies and wisdom of this world. Now, when we talk about philosophies, and, and I'm going to quote a couple of philosophers. And I know some of you are thinking, well, he's probably going to quote Aristotle. He may quote Plato. Well, those are traditional philosophers. But I want to quote maybe more current Philosophers. In fact, there's a one philosopher in the 1980s. His name was Daniel LaRusso, and he was also known as Daniel's son. And his philosophy of life was what goes around, what? Comes around. Do you remember the scene? Right? He's in the bathroom, he puts the hose over the top, and he runs out and he tells the girl that he's trying to woo. He says, What goes around comes around. And that was a philosophy that he was living by. Now, we call that karma, but it is a philosophy, right? There's a mindset of philosophy in the world that karma is, well, they will get what they deserve. What goes around comes around. And here's the reality of that. That's not true. Now, one day, all of us will stand in judgment, and God will deal justly with all of us. For those that are redeemed, that know him, there will be reward. Those who don't, there will be eternal punishment. But in this world, we cannot say that what goes around always comes around. We can't say that those who live a life a certain way are always going to get what we think they deserve in this world. That's not true. 
And then there's another philosopher, and she's, she's really more the 20th century or 21st century. Her name is Kelly Clarkson, and she says this, that if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you what? Stronger. That's not true, right? Because some of you have had some things happen in your life that didn't kill you, but it didn't make you stronger. It left you shattered. It left you broken. It left you struggling, right? Now, the reason I say that is this, because you say, well, Doug, those aren't philosophers. They are. See, anything in the world that's inundating us, that's trying to get us to buy into a mindset, a philosophy, or a different kind of wisdom, that is worldly philosophies. Whether it's the karma of what goes around, comes around, or if it's Kelly Clarkson's, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Those are philosophies, and we're inundated with them all the time. And here's why I point them out. Because those philosophies that shape our sense of identity... It's those philosophies that shape our sense of purpose. It's those philosophies that shape our worldview. In fact, I would bet for maybe some of you in the room today, your worldview has been shaped by the talk radio that you listen to every day. They have inundated you with philosophies and thoughts and mindsets, whether it's liberal or conservative, right-wing, left-wing, it doesn't matter. They've inundated you, and those philosophies have shaped your worldview. For some of you, I'm about to really step on your toes. I believe for some of you, what is shaping your sense of identity and self-worth is the God-awful country music that you listen to every day when you get into the car and you crank it up and you listen to that, that twangy stuff that anybody could sing and you listen to it and you, those things are philosophies. I'm just kidding. I can't stand country music, but I'm just kidding about that. But you know, those philosophies inundate us all the time, don't they? They're sending a message to us about our sense of identity and our sense of value. And so if, the, if we get to a place where we not only just say this, but we're ready to live this out, listen, the enemy is going to come after you. And he's going to come after you. In Ephesians 6, it says that there's many schemes of the devil. And one of those is by inundating us with philosophies of the world. Not the, always the Aristotles and the Plato's. It could be simple as the Daniel Russo's and the Kelly Clarkson's of the world. Things that are invading our life, they're trying to tell us who we are, what we should be about, and how we should see the world. Do you understand this morning? Say amen. Because this is a big deal. Well, Apostle Paul had the same issue with the Church of Colossae. The Church of Colossae was being inundated with different worldly philosophies, which, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, exactly the philosophies he was addressing. But there were some philosophies that were attacking the local church there. And I want us to look at this morning how, how did Paul address, at least at the beginning, the philosophies that were tackling the church of that day. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have it up on the screen. And I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me in honor of reading God's word. It says this in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule authority, and in him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands, but by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses, 
and uncircumcised of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Are you thankful for the cross this morning? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. God, I love you and I thank you for this passage. God, may you speak to us mightily this morning and may we truly understand that the world is inundating us. The enemy is inundating us with philosophies and we need to look at what Paul has to say as we move forward. God, we love you. Bless this time. In your name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. As you look at this passage, there are really two things I believe that Paul does in this passage to begin to address the philosophies that are attacking the church. And the first one's found in verse 8. Go back with verse 8. It says this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Here's the first thing that Paul does. He addresses the deficiency of worldly philosophies. He lets them know right out of the gate, these worldly philosophies aren't sufficient for you. When you're searching for peace, when you're searching for hope, when you're searching for joy, whatever you're searching for, the philosophies of this world will never, ever, ever satisfy. So he begins by addressing the deficiency of the worldly philosophies, and he starts by saying this, make sure that no one takes you captive. Now, real quickly here, who's his audience? He's writing a church, so who's the audience? Believers or non-believers? Believers. Believers. So think about this. For those, all of us, before we accepted Christ, we were dead in our sins. We were slave to sin. We were slave to that legalistic mindset that we had to work and perform somehow to be pleasing to God. But when we put our faith in Christ, we became free in Christ, free from the power of sin, free from the penalty of sin, free from the payment of sin. We became free as we sang about it a while ago. We are free in Christ. And so Paul says, listen, let no one take you captive. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are free. So don't go back into slavery. Don't go back and let something have jurisdiction over your life. And I'm just going to tell you as a pastor and as someone who loves you guys, one of the things that I see people struggle with all the time in the church is that they know they're free in Christ, but they let sin still reign in their life. And you're putting on bondage again. You're going back to the bondage that you were brought out of. He says, listen, church of Colossae, I want you to make sure no one takes you captive. You are free in Christ. Don't go back to slavery. Don't go back to bondage. Now, that word captive literally kind of has this notion or this idea of being carried off as a spoil of war. And so, in fact, when a king would go conquer another area, if he didn't kill everybody, he would then grab some of their people and he would, he would take them with them as captives. And so he says, listen, I don't want you to be a captive to anything. In other words, the philosophies of this world, don't let them sweep you away. Don't let them take you away. Don't let them enslave you. They're deficient. And then he goes on to say this. He he talks about captive to what? He says, don't let anyone take you captive by these philosophies. Now, if you think about philosophy, and if you were to define the word philosophy, on the surface, it doesn't really seem all that bad. Here's what I mean. Philosophy just simply means the love and pursuit of wisdom. Now, does that seem all that bad? In fact, philosophy can be broken up into a compound word, phileo and sophia, which are Greek words. Phileo is one of the Greek words for what? Anybody know? For love. And sophia is the word for 
wisdom. And so it's the love and pursuit of wisdom. And so here's what Paul's saying. Listen, make sure you don't allow yourselves to go back to slavery with the worldly philosophies. Make sure the world's, listen, make sure the world's view of wisdom doesn't reign in your life. Just a quick question. Is the world's wisdom God's wisdom? No. No. But sometimes we live that way. In fact, this is not a new notion for Paul. If you were to go back and read 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a statement basically like this. He says, listen, what is wisdom to God is foolishness to man. And what is wisdom to man is foolishness to God. So in other words, what God says is right, what God says is the right thing to do, and what wisdom is, man looks at that and thumbs or nose at it and goes, I don't know that I buy into that. And what man says is right, God goes, you've missed the mark the whole way. So there's this notion that Paul's telling this church of Colossae, listen, I want to make sure that you know as free people, free in Christ, don't go back to slavery. Don't let the philosophies of this world, don't let the so-called wisdom of this world take you away. Don't, be, don't let those things reign and rule in your life. And he tells us why we're not to do that. Because he says these philosophies are filled with empty deceit. Now, when I say to you, don't, don't, don't be super Christian right now, all right? When I say to you, what goes around comes around. Is there a part of you that goes, that sounds kind of good actually, right? Is there any part of you, come on, anybody that wanted to be honest? I mean, you say, that sounds really good to you, right? So on the, some of you are like, no, I'm just too Christian. I'm not going to say, but we all think that way, right? Or if it doesn't kill me, it makes me stronger. I would like to think I've grown through everything in my life, even though I have not. So at the surface, they sound good, but at the core, they are fraudulent. Are you with me on that? At the core, worldly philosophies and worldly wisdom is fraudulent. And Paul says, don't let it take captive. Don't let it take you captive. Don't let it enslave you. Don't let the philosophies of this world enslave you and take you back to a place of bondage. And then he tells us, if you, if you read the passage there, then he tells us why these worldly philosophies are so deficient. Let's go back in verse 8. He says this, for they, for they are according to human tradition and not according to Christ. The reason the philosophies and the wisdom of this world are deficient and not sufficient is because they come from human tradition. They are man-made philosophies. Are you with me on that? They are man-made. They come from human origin, and they're made by human tradition, which means they've been passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, but they are just man-made. In fact, if you were to go back and study Judaism, so much of Judaism was misunderstood, and they put man's twist on things. That's why Jesus was always butting head with the Pharisees over stuff like the Sabbath, because they so misinterpreted that. They so missed the mark of what God wanted for them, and there's just been this moment in Judaism where they, they upheld the tradition of man over the authority of Scripture. Are you with me on that? They upheld the tradition of man over the authority of Scripture. And I'm just going to say this with a lot of love. There are Christian denominations in the world today that elevate the tradition of man over the authority of Scripture. And one reason these worldly philosophies and this worldly wisdom is deficient is because it comes from human tradition. And he says, and not according to Christ. It's not wisdom according to Christ. And if it's not from God then at the very center of it is deception, right? If it's not from God, at the very center of that wisdom is to deceive you. Anybody in the room ever been manipulated by somebody? If you're not raising your hand, you're the manipulator we're talking about, right? 
Okay, so let's ask that again. Anybody ever been, and I'm doing it right now, anybody ever been manipulated by anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, because I just did it to you. You all fall in that category. And the reality is this, is that that's what worldly wisdom does. It manipulates us. It manipulates us into buying into and believing a lie as something that's fraudulent. It wants us to think that what goes around, comes around, should be right. That if it doesn't kill me, it makes me stronger, should be right. But at the end of the day, they're wrong. And nowhere in Scripture do we see that mindset. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that. And so we need to realize that the philosophies of this world, the wisdom of this world is empty. It's hollow. It's deceptive. And we got to remember the reason it's deceptive and the reason it's deficient is because it's made of human tradition and not from God. And Paul says, please, church, listen, don't let the philosophy of the world once again take you captive. And I just want to say this as an encouragement to us. We need to take some real moments in our life and go, what philosophies have I allowed into my life? Now, I know you're laughing at me about Daniel LaRusso and Kelly Clarkson, but when you leave here in a moment and you get in your car, I hope there's a moment the Holy Spirit goes, but he was right. Because there's a moment that you were listening to music or you're watching TV or you're watching news reports or you're reading the paper and all those things are trying to inundate you with the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of Christ. And we've got to be careful, right, church? We've got to be careful. And so he starts with pointing out the deficiency of the worldly philosophy that is human tradition and not from God. And the second thing he does is this, is he addresses the sufficiency of Christ. So he starts with the deficiency of worldly philosophies and he ends with the sufficiency of Christ. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. They were here three, four weeks ago. Well, we started there, Doug. Yes, we did. But do you remember in chapter 1 that Paul establishes the sufficiency of Christ by talking about who Jesus was, you know, who he is? He's sovereign. He's supreme. He's superior. Well, here he kind of shifts the narrative from we know who Jesus is as the, as the son of God, fully man, fully God. He's the manifestation of God. He's sovereign. But here Paul elaborates on this notion of, but what has he done for us? Here's how we know Christ is sufficient, not just because of who he is, but we also know that Christ is sufficient to meet all of our needs because of what he has done for us. And Paul tells us five things he's done for us, and I'll go through these quickly. Here's the first one found in verse 9. He says this, for in him, everybody say in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have not been filled in him who is the head of the, uh, you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The first thing Paul says, that in him we are complete. That in him we are complete. Did you notice there that he says that in Jesus, in him, rests the full deity? That means that Jesus is what? Jesus is God, and that Jesus alone has the power to save. And he says, in him, we are filled, meaning that could be translated, in him, we are complete. Now, just back, hold on a minute. That doesn't mean you're perfect yet. Okay, so don't think, well, I'm pretty good. No, 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 no. It could say that you're complete does not mean you're perfect. What it means is that in him, I have everything that I need. In him, there are no things I don't want. In fact, David, I was thinking about this morning, David, when he penned Psalms 23, which was at the very end of his life, do you remember the very first verse in Psalms 23? The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not be what? In want. He's like, listen, I have such a relationship with the Lord that what I've discovered as I look through the corridors of my life is I had no needs because he's right there with me. His rod and his staff have always protected me. 
They've always guided me. He's put me in the presence. I mean, just David goes on. In fact, all of Psalms 23, go back and read it. All of Psalms 23 is how he fleshes out that one statement in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not be in want. That he completes me. Anybody remember the movie Jerry Maguire? Okay, you knew I was going to go there, didn't you? The movie Jerry Maguire, and if you've not watched it, don't watch it. But anyway, Tom Cruise is there, and he's talking to Renee. I don't know her last name, sort of the Z. He's talking to her, thank you. He's talking to her, and there's this moment where he goes through this whole dialogue with all these women there, and there's a point where they're like angry with him, and then they all of a sudden are like, oh, that's so sweet. And so there's that moment where he says what? You what? Complete me. And then she's like, oh, shut up, you had me, hello. So he's like, you complete me, right? Here's the thing. No person outside the person of Jesus ever completes you. You are complete in Christ. He is all you need. Everything you're looking for, everything you're searching for, everything you're longing for, like young ladies, I love that you guys on the front row. You're more awesome than anybody else. The thing that you're looking for, maybe a sense of identity, a sense of value, a sense of worth, some stinking boy's never going to give that to you. You're only going to find that, yeah, all the mom was like, yeah, preach it, preach it, right? The boys are like, what are you talking about? So you're never going to find that in a young man. You're only going to find that in what Jesus says about you. And when you discover and believe and buy into what God's word says about you, it will change the trajectory of all your relationships. Why? Because you're complete in him. We are complete in him. With Christ, we have no need of anything. And everything we long for can be found in him. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We in him are complete. The second thing he says is found in verse 11. In him, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without the hands, but putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, in him, we are changed. We're not only complete, but in him, we are changed. See, these philosophies and these teachers were coming along, and they were teaching the Gentiles who had converted to faith in the church of Colossae, well, if you really want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to go through physical circumcision. And Paul says, you've missed the mark here, because we've all been circumcised. Not physically, but spiritually. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, put the physical off the table. We've all experienced spiritual circumcision, meaning this, that God alone, when we put our faith in Christ, God alone cut away the dominance of sin in our life. He has carved out that dominance of sin that's in our life. We have had all that stuff cut away. We are a new creation in Christ, and that old self has been crucified with Christ, and therefore we're no longer a slave to sin. Amen? No longer. In him we are complete, but in him we are changed. Jesus has changed us. When you said yes to Christ, the power and the penalty and the dominance of sin in your life was cut away from you. You are, not were, you are a new creation in Christ. When you said yes to him, you died to that old self. You were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, Paul said. You are no longer a slave to sin. And here's what I want to say in light of that. Stop living like it. If you're free from the bondage of sin, stop living like it's still got reign and rule over your life. We are complete in him. We are changed by him. And verse 12 says this. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, and which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, in him we are all united. We are united with him. Baptism is the picture that Paul uses here. 
Baptism is that picture of, the picture of what Jesus did for us. That Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried and put into a grave, and three days later, he rose again. And what Paul is saying is, what Jesus went through physically, his physical story, is your spiritual story. Our story is Jesus' story. What Jesus went through physically on the cross and his death and the grave and the resurrection is what you experienced when you said yes to Christ. You died to the old self and you were raised a new creation in him. In fact, when I talk about baptism, and by the way, we're going to be baptizing you after the service and you don't want to miss it. It's going to be fantastic. But when I talk to people about baptism, I always say this, that baptism is a symbol It's a symbol of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It's a symbol that when we said yes to Christ, we died to our old self, and we became a new creation in him. That's what it's about. And Paul says, listen, not only have you completed him, not only have you been changed by him, but you are united with him. That in baptism, we're identifying. It really is our public declaration that Christ is our Savior. And then he says something else here. Look with me in the next verse. It's the verse, verse 13. He says this in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses. Now, who who used to be dead in their trespasses? Who used to be dead in their trespasses? Don't be scared. Say it out loud. All of us, every single one of us. Some of us may still be there, but we all were. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, meaning your heart had not been changed. God made you alive together with him, have been forgiving us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us in the legal demands. In other words, in him we are complete, in him we are changed, in him we're united. But listen to this in him we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Do you believe that this morning? It's that old enemy that wants you not to believe that. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you stand forgiven, not condemned. He said, when you were dead in your trespasses, which would be all of us, when there was a moment when we were dead, to, that we were, that, that old self, that we were dead in our sin and that we were going to spend eternity apart from Christ, Jesus came to this world and he died on a cross, taking and nailing our sin to that cross, that whoever of us would put our faith in him, that our sins would be forgiven. And listen to this, that means our debt has been canceled. Are you with me on that? Our debt has been canceled canceled. And I don't know about you, but as a Christian, sometimes I think maybe we don't understand the magnitude of our debt being canceled. Because when we think about forgiveness, sometimes we view forgiveness the way we forgive people. So let's say Andrew's hurt my feelings. Andrew, you've not hurt my feelings, by the way. But let's say Andrew's hurt my feelings. And then Andrew and I go, I go to Andrew and say, listen, man, this hurt me. He's like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, hey, will you forgive me? I'm like, yeah, I'll forgive you. And then six months later, I come back in and I leverage that over Andrew, right? We, now we have another tiff going on. And I'd go back to the past and I bring it to the present and go, Andrew, do you remember way back when, when you did this to me? I'm still hurting over that. Where's the thing? If I bring it back from the past, did I ever forgive him when I first said I forgive him? No. And see, we view it that way. It's almost like we, okay, we say we're forgiven in Christ. We say that because we have faith in him, we're forgiven. But the reality is many of us, because we sin and because we still blow it, we think that somehow God's going to come back on us and go, you know what? I'm still pretty upset with you what you did a week ago. See, God doesn't work the way we work. God doesn't think the way that we forget, think. When he says we are forgiven, we are forgiven past, present, and future. You are forgiven. When you said yes to Christ, all your debt's been paid for, your debt has been canceled. It's as if you have a home note and the bank sends you a note and says, paid in full. How many times would you jump up, scream, and shout about that one, right? 
How much more should we jump up, scream, and shout about the fact that your sin debt has been paid for all eternity? Do you believe that this morning? You are forgiven. He says, in him, we're forgiven. And then he said one last thing, which I love. In verse 15, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, this is talking about Jesus, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, in him, we have been changed. In him, we have been complete. In him, we are united. In him, we are forgiven. But in him, we have the victory. In him, we have the victory. Did you pick up on what it said there, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities? You know what that means? It means the enemy thought with the death of Jesus on the cross that he was going to win, that he was going to win the battle, that he was going to win the fight, that when Jesus died on the cross, I'm sure the devil thought, I have the victory. And three days later, what happened? Jesus comes back from the dead, letting the enemy know, you didn't win the battle, you didn't win the war, I have all authority, all power, and listen, he says, he said he put them to shame. Now, that was a military term, because when a king would destroy a nation, he would take those captives, and he would march them through the city, shaming them as inferior to him. Jesus shamed the enemy by resurrecting from the dead. And he says, in him, Jesus, there's, there's victory over sin, death, and the grave. And listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, in him, we have that same victory. In him, there's victory over sin. Sin has no control over you anymore. In him, we have victory over death. Death is not the end for us. I know it's the number one fear of all Americans, but it's not the end for us. In him, we have victory over the grave. See, the grave is not our destination. There's a place in glory that is our destination. In him, we have the victory. And so it's so important for us to realize the reason that Jesus is sufficient is because what he's done for us. He has completed us. In him, everything we need is found. He has changed us. He's cut away that sin, sinful heart that we had. Even though we go back to it, he's cut it away from us. In him, we are united because his story is our story. In him, we've been forgiven because we have moved from death to life, from darkness to light. And in him, we don't know one day we'll have the victory. We have the victory. We have victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave because of Christ. And we need to remember that Jesus is sufficient. And the philosophy of this, of this world they're not. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, let me issue a couple challenges for you. First of all, I'm going to ask you, if you say that Jesus is your Savior, here's the first challenge. Will you commit? This morning, will you make sure that you commit to allow Jesus to shape, not the world, not the world's wisdom, would you allow Jesus and his word shape your sense of purpose, shape your sense of identity, shape your worldview? Now, if you're going to do that, here's what it's going to take. It's going to take us being alert, right? When we turn the radio on, we got to be careful and alert. Now, I'm not saying you've got to turn the radio on and never listen to country music, even though it would be advised. I'm not saying you got to do that. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you should never watch TV or listen to talk radio. What I'm saying is there has to be an alertness in us when we hear the philosophies of the world trying to inundate our life. There has to be an alertness. And there has to be an intentionality about us to make sure that we're putting God's wisdom over anything else into our lives. So will you make a commitment this morning? A commitment to allow Jesus to shape your identity, your purpose, and your worldview. And second of all, would you make a commitment 
to lean on Jesus and not the philosophy and the wisdom of this world to meet what you're searching for. And if you're a follower of Christ, would you make those commitments this morning? And maybe you're here this morning and you say, man, I don't know that I have a personal relationship with Christ. Well, let me just ask you this. What are you searching for then? Are you searching for significance? Are you searching for value? Are you searching for purpose? Yeah, you can look for it in the world. And maybe temporarily you're going to find a little bit of that, but long term it's all going to fade away. In the end, here's what you're going to find out. Every single bit of it leaves the same void you started with. And what you're searching for is a person. And that's a person of Jesus. And what you've heard today is how much he loved you. What you've heard today is how he came and he took your sin and he nailed to a cross. And if you by faith will put your trust in him, you can stand this morning forgiven. Well, Doug, you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you've done. But he does. And he's still willing to forgive you. Your sin is never bigger than his grace. And would you receive that this morning? And you simply can do it by saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And today I surrender my life to you. I ask you to be the boss and master. And if you'll do that, the Bible says that your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and all of heaven's throwing a party just for you right now because you came to faith in him. So however you need to respond this morning, would you be faithful to do that? I'm going to ask you right now. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Before we pray, let me just say this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, that for the believer, my prayer more than anything is that we would come to grips with the philosophies that are invading our lives. And that we would call them for what they are. And we would stop buying into them. And that we would acknowledge those philosophies and the world's wisdom is shaping us. Our identity, our purpose, our worldview. But this morning, we commit to lean on Jesus and his word to shape us, not the wisdom of this world. Or if you're a believer and you're searching for something, maybe your joy has been robbed from you. And you're searching for that joy. Listen, you're going to find it only in him. And maybe you need to commit to lean back on him. Say, Lord, I need you. I want to pray what David prayed when he said, I want you to restore the joy of your salvation back to my heart. And if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ is your savior. A runner cannot run a race unless they start the, the, the beginning point starting line. And the starting line for you, if you don't know Christ, is to accept him and begin this race called life. Your eternity hangs in the balance of that decision. So if you need to make that decision today, I pray you make that. God, I love you for, to, thank you for today. I love you for your word. God, there's so much in here that we could have just continued to unpack, but God, I, I just feel like when we look at your word that there was a mindset in the church of Colossae that was being so inundated with philosophy that I just pray that for believers that we would acknowledge that we live in that same kind of world. And with the whole internet and with the whole social media content, Lord, we're even more so than they were back then. And I pray for believers, Lord, that when they leave in a moment, there'd be a real sense in us that we would be intentional about the things that are influencing us, what we allow to be put into our lives. Lord, that we would be alert to the philosophies that the enemy is shooting at us. And we'd call them for what they are. And that we would lean on you and your wisdom to guide us. God, I just pray for believers today. I pray that like the church of Colossae, that we would not let anybody take us captive through worldly wisdom that's empty deceit, 
and guide us down the wrong path. May we make that commitment today. And Father, for the one that maybe doesn't know you, maybe they would take a moment and surrender their life to you. God, we love you, and we need you in this moment. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. So right where you stand this morning, whatever commitment you need to make, even as we sing, would you just take some real moments with the Lord and make that commitment? And then later we're going to talk about how you can let us know so we can be praying for you. So however God leads you this morning, would you be faithful to respond to that?